This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo and on the line today we have FBG Jen. Hey, hey. And we have FBG Kristen. Hi. And you guys, we have such a great guest today, Amy Baltzell. What did you think of her? I loved her. Me too. Uh, she had so many, um, you can definitely tell that she's a little bit more of a scientist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like her brain is very, um, uh, she thinks about the details and like gets right to it, which I don't, I don't mind at all. But she had such an interesting take on and I, it, especially from the beginning of the interview to the end of the interview, we, we it's like we all kind of like became friends. At first, you know, we we're just kind of like answering questions back and forth. And then I felt like by the end, there was, I don't know. Do you guys, I felt like we had some sort of connection with her, right? She, like, was, <laughs> she likes our show. She was, she, I, I, damn it. I, I stopped recording at some point and she started paying us the compliments about how much she likes this podcast. So uh, I was well, like, oh man, that's yeah. so cool. We have fans. Yeah, she was like, <laughs> it's so funny because she was so like scientific and clearly like attention to detail but she's she studies mindfulness so it's like you have this very like numbers kind of heavy thing you know performance based everything and then with the mindfulness which is a little bit more like oh you have good vibes and here's energy and it's a little bit more woo-woo-y and she's bringing them together and showing that that stuff you know like really does matter to athletes and you know how they perform and everything is so interconnected at such an um elite level but that that also does translate down to us to everyday non-Olympic folk, you know, just going about for a workout or just trying to have, you know, a good day and live a good life. I I found it really interesting. What did you think, Kristen? Yeah, she was fascinating. Um, And I'm, you know, through a lot of the the training I've done for um, USA triathlon coaching, like there is definitely a, a sports psychology aspect to it. And I and that's actually my favorite part to get into, if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. So she she kind of took that and, you know, went a bridge farther, which I I loved. So, yeah, super cool. I also felt, felt bonded at the end. Yeah, I felt that bond too. <laughs> yeah, she was so warm and friendly and, and, she's, and she's so wise. I'm fascinated by sports psychology. You know, what kind of – I mean, you can get in – physical shape to do just about anything but you know we all know like it's the mental game is just as important as important if not more important so I'm always like interested in like a top athlete how they think how they handle stress you know how they handle nerves because like I'm a nervous person so how do they they deal with those so I wanted to ask you guys do you have any pre-race or pre-game pre-game struggles excuse me that you face and how do you manage them so yeah, I can definitely be a nervous Nelly before I do any sort of running race. Even sometimes if it's a challenging workout at uh, the gym I go to, the Fit Pit here in Kansas City, sometimes even before like a really hard workout, like I'll get butterflies in my stomach before the normal workout. Like I, I'm not competing against anybody. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just kind of like daunting or scary and I get, oh, and I have to kind of calm myself down. Um, there's also a competition that is done every year at the Fit Pit called the Throwdown, which is a pretty intense, like, couple-day event. 
And yeah, I'm always just like a ball of nerves before that with, you know, uh, TMI, like bad poo and, you know, like the whole nine (laughs) yards. And when I played tennis in high school, it was the same. It was, it was the same way. Um, like virtually any match I played, I would get, you know, nervous before and it would take me a long time to, to really settle down. And I wish that I had, you know, at that point, I wish that I'd had more resources because I, I think I would have been a better like tennis player mm-hmm. if I had a better handle on, on some of that, because especially when you get into, you know, a sport, any sport, you know, where you're, where you are competing and what you're doing is very uh, calculated movements, you know, so like gymnastics or tennis or um, something where you're kind of like on the spot. Mm-hmm. I, I like, if you're, if you don't have the confidence or the sturdiness in yourself, like it is hard to just perform at your best. It's hard to kind of get into that magical flow spot. I always found that when I was doing group sports, that was always a little bit easier because it wasn't like all the pressure wasn't on you. Right. I feel like Amy could have had a heyday with me when I was younger. She could probably still have a heyday with me before stuff, but, um, there's so much more talk about it now that I think it makes it, I think it makes it a little bit easier. And I have a better self-awareness now, like, oh my gosh, I'm really nervous. Okay. How can I calm down? Let's just take some deep breaths. You know, let's just focus on what your goal is. And then I have little things that I kind of say to myself, like uh, run your own race Mm -hmm. is one that I say a lot. Like it's not about anyone else. Just, you know, just focus on you, do your best, do your best, get in it. You can do this. And then you can do anything. After I had my daughter, like after I gave birth, like yeah, I'm sure. sometimes I'll compete to birth. That's how I get my brain to be like, oh, honey, oh, honey, this is nothing. Like you, you had natural childbirth. You you can get through a few burpees today. Like you got this girl. And so I kind of play that, that role with myself um, in my head. But yeah, I think, I think we all have like, that's all pretty normal, right? It's right? totally normal. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have to say, I think it's really funny that what you had to say about, um, like single person sports versus team sports, because I, I feel the opposite. Oh, um, like all the pressures on you because other people are depi- depending on you. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like I, in high school, when I played volleyball, I was much better when I was just like out somewhere playing volleyball with other people versus literally anytime my coach was anywhere nearby. Um, or anytime some of the older girls on the team were around and ready to yell at me for making a mistake, um, that I, I honestly never got past that in that, um, in that scenario, which is super unfortunate because I loved volleyball and it ended up becoming a a really not fun thing to do. So like I played club, but I, um, how messed up that they yelled at you? That's messed up. Yeah, they were, they were not nice. Yeah. So if any, if I've got any like juniors or seniors in high school out there and you've got a freshman or a sophomore up on your varsity team and they seem a little nervous, maybe try being nice to them for a second and see if that improves their play. Because I'll tell you what, if you yell at me, I'm not going to set you the damn ball. I'm just not. (laughs) So anyway. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You got anything else you want to tell them? (laughs) Get it out right now, Kristen. Um, Therapy. Here we go. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. But you know, so what I've found is, you know, now the majority of things that I do are, you know, running races or triathlon. And I get a little bit nervous, but I actually have learned to kind of love that feeling of butterflies mm-hmm. um, because I, it's not debilitating for me. It doesn't cause me, 
you know, I don't have to spend more time in the bathroom or, you know, do anything. It's just, it's a, it's almost just like a recognition of like, oh, this is not your normal day. And you, you have put work into this and it's worth, it's worth feeling different for. And happily, I usually get past that pretty quickly, but, um, for, for one of the biggest races I ever did, um, I was quite nervous. Um, it was a, a half Ironman and I'd never, I'd never really done that before. And I, I was definitely nervous just because it's a, <laughs> like, it's a lot to compete and it's a long time yeah. to, to keep it all together. Um, so the day before the race, I actually sat kind of near the, near the start area and I had walked and driven a lot of the course so I knew what to expect and I sat down and I I pictured each part and obviously not like with a one-to-one ratio of current you know of the actual time versus that because it took me like six and a half hours to finish the race so um but you know I would just picture different parts on the course and I would picture myself feeling strong and happy and confident at each one of those points and and I would really like let my like sink into my body and let my body feel that strength and that capability. And, and I would, I pictured it at different parts of the course that I knew were going to be tough. Um, and I pictured it like on that second run loop when I was going to be going past all the things that I had already seen. And I knew that I still had, you know, a half of a half marathon to go. Like I knew that would be tough mentally, but I pictured it and my God, you guys, that was like the greatest trick of my life. I was still super nervous at the start, but not as bad as I have been for other big races. And I felt, I felt great through the mm-hmm. whole thing. Even the, the little parts that I knew were going to be scary and make me a little bit nervous. I, I got right through them and it, I really credit a lot of that to doing that. Um, you know, it was probably 15, 20 minutes of meditation and that was it. And it made a huge difference on race day. That makes me think, can I interject with, uh, yeah a gem of wisdom because Tish and I did it the wrong way before <laughs> Tish and I ran. Uh, we, say we ran the Disney marathon in 2010, right? So a long time ago, but that night before we were both like nervous cats, like so nervous. Cause it's so much training similar to like your half iron man, you know, like there's so much, you feel like kind of like riding on the line, like building up to this moment that you've envisioned and you've thought about the night before someone had, um, we were talking with some other marathoners at the resort we were staying at and they were like, Oh, have you ever seen we're talking about like documentaries I'm like have you ever seen spirit of the marathon and we're like no they're like oh it's a great you know every marathoner should watch it blah 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 blah. so we watched it the night before we we went from nervous to like scared shitless oh no about running oh. the marathon no because um, they talk about like how debilitating it is and how like all these people that have like passed out and died or having all these issues or not finishing and <laughs> we were I mean th- those are all realities you know it is a good documentary it is a true documentary I do recommend you watch it um just not the night before your race like <laughs> gosh like it, it made us I think we were kind of like maybe a touch naive on some of the pieces of it of running the race but it really did just scare the heck out of us and I, I think it got in my head so um wait to watch that after after you were on your race and then feel really, really proud Golly. of it. But yeah, put that one, put that one aside. Don't do as we did. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think visualization is really, really powerful. I think for anything in life, not even just a race, you know, you're going yeah. on a job interview or a date or whatever, you're dealing with a family thing, you're going for Thanksgiving and you think it's going to be stressful. I find visualization really helps me navigate potential landmines 
and puts me at ease. Like if this thing happens, okay, okay, that, that'd be stressful, but what would you do? And then, then I know when I have a, a plan, if something goes wrong, I'm much more calm, right? Yep. You're not going to let it overwhelm you. So I find visualization very powerful. For sure. Yeah. So is there a mantra? Because we she she wanted, by the way, listen to the very end of the interview because the very, very end of the interview, she goes, wait a minute, I want to say one thing before I go. <laughs> and we've already <laughs> said goodbye to her. So I'm, I hope I can edit it properly, you guys. But she said, <laughs> you know, it's really important to have a mantra that you use to, to manage your anxiety, your unease. So or just for inspiration. So guys, do you want to share your favorite personal mantra, Jen? So yeah, I have like a number of them. I mentioned one a little bit earlier, a couple, but one that is so weird, but it really works for me, especially in workouts is, I'm trying to even think of what the song is. It's either like a Brian Adams song or a Dave or John Mellencamp song. There's no use complaining when you've got a job to do. Is that Summer of 69? Is that Brian Adams? Yes, yes, Brian Adams. We talked about this before. Okay. Yeah. No use complaining when you've got a job to do. I have thought that so many times during a workout, during a race or whatever. It is just like, you know what? You are here to do something. If you are not having a constructive thought that's going to help you do something right now, then it just, you don't have the energy for that. Like focus and get it done. And that is, that has worked for me. It is the strangest thing, but it works. What about you guys? Mine changes up a lot too. Um, So one of the ones that I like, a lot is uh, smile and do the work because I really do find that smiling, even if it's more of like a horrific, painful looking grimace, <laughs> it, you know, like it sends a different message to the rest of your body that like, yes, I am happy to be here. I chose this. Like this is, this is good. Even if it hurts, um, even if it's difficult, this is, uh, this is a, the place that I want to be. And that was from, oh my gosh, I'm going to screw this up. But that was years and years and years ago. I think that I had interviewed the editor for shape maybe I don't know it was a long time ago and that was hers and I liked that Mm -hmm. um and then one of the others that I really like is um I am capable and that's just a good good reminder because sometimes I'm not great sometimes I'm not fast but if I'm out there then that's that indicates to me that I am capable of doing what it is I set out to do what about you Margo so I've been thinking about, we interviewed Alex Silver Fagan recently, and we asked her what her favorite mantra was, and it's, you're stronger than you think you are. Mm-hmm. And that, I've been using that now for the past few weeks since we've talked to her, and it really does help you, like, physically, emotionally, whatever you're going through. It's, it's a really, I find that a really powerful mantra, so that was mine for me. You're stronger than you think you are. Oh, I like it. Isn't I like it, it too. Yeah. It's true. You always are stronger than you think you are. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So are we ready for this interview with Amy Baltzell? Let's get to it. Amy Baltzell is a certified mental performance consultant and president of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. She's a clinical associate professor and director of the Sports Psychology Specialization of Counseling at Boston University. Amy has worked with professional athletes and aspiring Olympians in track and field, boxing, fencing, shooting, baseball, squash, rowing, and many other sports. Amy received her bachelor's from Wesleyan University and earned a master's and doctorate from Boston University. She's a former U.S. national and Olympic rowing team member, member of the All-Women's America's Cup sailing team in 1995, and head varsity lightweight rowing coach at Harvard University. Amy taught the very first course of sports psychology at Harvard University. She is here today to offer her best advice on goal-setting, overcoming negative thinking, the importance of mindfulness, and having a personal mantra. 
Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you on the show. This is FBG Margo. And on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Yo. And we're just going to take turns asking you questions. We're really psyched to have you on the show today. So as we are recording this interview, it is still pretty early in the year, meaning that many people are trying to keep their New Year's resolutions. So can you give us some insight on how to sustain obtainable goals and keep motivated for new challenges? Well, that, that's a big that's a big question. I think that, um, you know, there's a difference between what you're going to do each day, you know, towards some goal you have and then kind of the big picture you have for yourself. And so I think sometimes... People can get caught up in, um, say, if they, you know, say do yoga five days a week and they miss a day or two, they feel really badly about themselves and they've kind of fallen off the wagon and it's over. As opposed to thinking the bigger picture of what's this really about? You know, it's about me having more flexibility or strength or peace of mind. And so it can be a little easier to recover from those times when you disappoint yourself by not kind of showing up for yourself. So when it comes to, those goals and whether those are New Year's resolutions or their other goals, you know, just throughout the year or whatever, what is kind of the, the number one, you know, you just talked about maybe like falling off the wagon and not getting back on. What is the other like number one glaring mistake that you see people make time and time again that you wish you could just be like, stop, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a few things. One is asking too much of yourself because I think that, if you can ask a smaller thing of yourself, then it can kind of become like dominoes toward well-being and health. But if you set too lofty daily goals to start out with, it's kind of a recipe mm, disaster, you know. Yeah. Or, or, or just failure. You know, you, you come up short and then, and then you have to deal with feeling badly about yourself. And then you have to um, uh, cope with that, which I think is maybe um, the most difficult thing to, to get over. Self-disappointment. Yeah, you have, tips, well, you have tips for overcoming that. Sorry, not to interrupt. Oh, I was just going to ask the same thing. Like, okay, like how do we That's do that? Yeah. yeah. So, no, I think the first thing is is to realize that it's normal. You know, um, I think when we get in these moments of, and I've, I've certainly done it myself, where you, I have a goal and I think I'm going to achieve it, and then I come up short, and then I feel really badly about myself, and then it feels like I'm the only person in the world feeling, you know, badly, and everyone else looks good, as opposed to knowing it's really normal to have those feelings. And um, I think it can be really um, masterful to come up with how you're going to handle yourself when those predictable moments show up. Like, how can you be kind to yourself in that moment? Like, it's okay to feel like this. Others feel like this. Others fall off the wagon, too, you know. And um, I think we can shine that um, some kindness on ourselves instead of being harsh and self-critical that we give ourselves a much better chance to get back on it. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I think you know, a lot of us are perfectionists. And I think, you know, a lot of athletes, their whole drive is, you know, they're there because they want to be the best. There are some of us who are there because we just like being a part of the team, of course. But, um, you know, when you get to the elite levels, and, you know, even a lot of the people that I'm just at the gym with, like, they really want to be the best. Right. So, you know, how do you reconcile those, those two kind of, they seem kind of disparate, (laughs) things like I want to be the best but I want to be kind to myself well this is the thing the first we are human and we are we will all fail sometimes that's really a normal thing and I think the thing about I look at it like this if you're not kind to yourself you shut down and quit you know so I'm not saying be kind to yourself and all moments like oh this rep is hard so I'm just going to kind of ease off because it's not fun in the moment I don't mean that I mean when you're really getting kind of harsh on yourself and you feel like giving up because you just can't tolerate how badly it feels to be kind of coming up short in those moments, 
if we can, you know, um, offer ourselves kindness, then we basically like you're kind of creating courage to kind of face <laughs> face your self disappointment and then keep going, you know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a radical idea, but I think that you know if if you think to yourself, and there's certainly times for myself where I've you know given up because I didn't want to tolerate how it didn't feel good. As opposed to imagine if in those moments you don't, you know, again, you don't feel good about yourself and, and if you can be gentle with yourself enough so you can go back to the gym, go back to that workout class, you can go back to eating the way that you know is best for your body. I'm a kind of an anxious person and sometimes I can be my own worst enemy during like a physical challenge such as, let's say, a century ride on my bike, you know, using a new path, a new ride. So I'll yeah. worry about things like unknown routes or the other cyclists or, or dumb enough, the weather. Sometimes I can, I'm that idiot that worries about the weather. The one thing I know I can't control. So yeah. <laughs> what are your tips for helping those who operate on that kind of level? You know, I think that um, people that operate like that, there's some information that's coming in that's helpful. So it might be noticing what things that you are maybe concerned about that you can um, prepare for, right, that might help you. And then after that, it's... Um, just noticing that there's a kind of that part of you that's anxious and having that be okay and um, bring your intentionally bring your attention to what you know will be most helpful to you as you prepare or as you ride, you know? So if you're caught up in the story of like the weather's bad and I, I, all the things you might be concerned about the route, I might get lost. You actually might miss the cue to take the correct turn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're lost in the story in your head. So I think noticing those thoughts, honoring them enough to say like is there anything here that's worth really making the decision about if not bringing your attention and your eyes back to a place that will help you get back present in the moment so i have a question that i think maybe a little bit i don't know could be a little bit of a catch-22 and you kind of i think you touched a little bit on this before but i just want to go a touch deeper on it so for a lot of these athletes that, and just people that are kind of driven by perfectionism and they want to be the best, and that's where they get a lot of self-worth is by winning. Um, I, like, who doesn't like to win? You know, winning feels awesome. You truly, like, you love yourself and you have your self-compassion. If you're, like, a top-level athlete and that's kind of, like, you're striving for other stuff, like, do you find that some of the athletes you work with lose some of their competitive drive and motivation, or does it just change? Can you talk about that? No, I mean, I... The kind of athletes I see are the kind of athletes who um, they come to me because, you know, they are that kind of perfectionist, perfectionist you know, maybe, maybe the top five in the country or 10 in the world or that kind of that type of person. And what can happen is if you if you cave into um, anxiety or fear, that criticism, or, you end up doing worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's debilitating. And so the perfectionists that I work with, when they can notice what their, you know, uh, self-criticism is doing, doing to their performance, like, you know, a, a high jumper who runs off and doesn't take the jump or the, um, you know, miler who at the last lap, you know, caves because they're not willing to uh, live in the uncertainty of winning and losing and being willing to be okay with that and go for it, you know? So to me, the self-compassion isn't about going soft and there's plenty of research on it that indicates it actually helps increase your motivation, your persistence, your, your willingness to try harder and stay in it. Do you have any specific exercises you would recommend for someone who, um, you know, like Margo was talking about getting really nervous before a century ride or, you know, I know when I was in high school before even my volleyball practices, I would get so nervous. It was, um, I mean, it, it definitely hindered my performance, but it also just hindered, you know, life. So if 
if we're talking about either athletes or just, you know, people who are trying to get fit and they're experiencing those nerves coming up, what, what tricks or, you know, in the moment things would you suggest for quelling those nerves aside from, because I know like, you know, be present, become okay with either winning or losing, doing well or doing poorly, but that's a little bit big picture, right? Yes. So what I've found that can be really helpful is, is first just recognizing that those feelings are there, which is not hard to do because <laughs> they tend to be really strong. Oh yeah. And, 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 <laughs> yeah right. Be overwhelming. And first, you know, like, as you say, have it be okay that they're there. And then what I've found, if you pair that with then visualizing how you'd like it to be, say, when you're on your, on your bike, you know, like, how do you want to be feeling and what do you want to be focusing on and get an image and get a feeling for what that will be like when you are riding in the way that you want to be riding and feel the kind of joy that can come from shifting your attention and being more engaged with the actual activity. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's both accepting it as, as it is, but then imagining, visualizing how you'd like it to go ideally. That I found has been incredibly helpful. So I wanted to talk to you about mind over matter thinking. And it's one of those mantras people kind of will tell you, oh, it's just mind over matter, right? And to achieve a goal. But are there times when you really should pay attention to the matter and not ignore it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's a fine line these days, isn't it? And you talk Mm -hmm. about those athletes that are really pushing the edge to be the very best. Um, But I think that it's, it's actually really important to be present and know when you're just pushing in a way that may be extremely uncomfortable, but you know it's right in those moments when you know that this actually is going to damage my body. And if I don't stop, um, it's going to be, it's going to have kind of short-term and long-term implications. And so that information is impo- very important to pay attention to. Yes. So you're studying the impact of mindfulness, meditation, training, and sports. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like, how you actually research that and study that and maybe some of the, the, the coolest things that you've, you've learned through that process? Yeah, sure. So it started out with um, interest, my interest in mindfulness, and I had a, um, a local um, meditation teacher who created an intervention, a meditation intervention for athletes. And he and I over the years have um, collaborated and uh, revised it, so it's both a mindfulness and self-compassion intervention. And so we've run about 10 studies on it, so it's like you get – you know, get data, say different kind of, you know, measures of mindfulness and well-being for and after the intervention and looking at um, the changes based on the intervention. So that's how we've studied it. But, you know, some things that we found that are remarkable is that the athletes, you know, this question of being kind to yourself, they absolutely um, have loved it. Men and women, Olympic level, um, division one collegiate level athletes have loved it because it gives them a different way to deal with um, the feelings of pressure, you know, that, Usually they say, just, you know, just stop thinking, just go do your thing. People can't do that. And so people are left with, you know, like you describing the anxiety and fear and like, how do you handle that? And how this um, intervention is offered a way to, um, you know, teach them how to accept the thoughts and get their attention back on the game, whether it's basketball, tennis, running, whatever it is. And have they, has, have, I mean, have they had huge strides? Have you seen some cases where people have just like completely changed, like how they play and had more success you know and like, like, more anecdotal um yeah. you know, like that one of the tennis players you know it was like a lot of um he'd have a lot of rage and would throw his racket and you know that kind of thing and and he was able to learn to notice that moment of you know being furious when someone calls a point the wrong way 
and he the urge to throw the racket and noticing that urge and making a decision to bring this attention back on tennis. I mean, that kind of example happened over and over with athletes, you know, in that moment, were able to tolerate those feelings and get their attention back on what they needed to do to be, to be successful. So I, I could have used that in, in high school tennis. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I really could have used that. <laughs> yeah, that's why I created it. I could have used it too. Yeah. <laughs> So we've talked a lot about, um, you know, high-level elite athletes. Yeah. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the the mental side of finding motivation for someone who just really doesn't feel like working out. They know they should. They they want to do it in theory, but it just doesn't sound fun. Yeah. I'm, and, um, yeah, and so I think about ideally, yeah, you'd choose some kind of activity that's a match that is enjoyable that um, – but sometimes it's not. And so I think that's where we have to go to what is it that I truly value here? You know, and if they can hook into something they value for themselves and care for themselves. And also the idea that generally people begin to um, love their own habits. And so it might be initially they don't like it, but probably over time they will start to like it. You know, so just knowing that kind of like I don't like this will be short, kind of short lived. Yeah, that's great. So I was reading on Mind Body Green that you believe it is important to be a little selfish when you're setting goals as it will work to your advantage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, that take on that. So I look at it like this. And so if any of you have ever been told to do something, you know, if you've been on a team, you have to go run, you know, five miles a day, you have to go, you know, lift an hour and a half a day, whatever it is. Um, it's important that whatever we're involved in, that we personally value what we're doing. So even if someone else tells us we need to do something, we need to find the part of ourselves where it's like, you know, I don't feel like running stadiums. I don't feel like lifting weights. I don't think, but it's like, is there any part of yourself that you value for your own reasons, regardless of what other everyone else wants and thinks? And we go hook into that part of ourselves. We choose, we feel volitional, we feel self-determined. Um, we'll be way more successful and much more likely to stay engaged in whatever we're doing. Yay for being selfish. Yep. you know when it gets down to it those moments when you don't feel like it but if you're thinking like i don't feel like this but i know that this is something that i want to improve for myself because it's important to me personally you're much more likely to do it than just think my boss wants me to do it or my coach wants me to do it you know oh 100 we talk a lot about um it's a slightly different twist on it but we talk a lot about finding your why like not someone else's why not what society tells you the why should be but what your personal why is yeah um, as your inner motivation yep. so has has all of your work and research like how has it affected your own health and fitness and just overall well-being and approach to to feeling good wow it's a great thanks for asking that question mm-hmm. um you know i think um before all this started i was someone who was at very you know very intense and driven and hard on myself um, I found myself much more um, at ease and able to take, you know, um, difficult moments and, and mm, it's easier for me to handle it now. And so I don't get sidetracked and I don't waste my energy and I'm able to put my energy where I want to put it. Awesome. It's been kind of miraculous, truthfully. That's part of the reason I want to share it, this work. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. So you're an elite athlete and you've worked with and studied elite athletes mm-hmm. and I wonder, like with all of your experience with people at that level, do you have any feel for how much of that kind of athletic success has to do with genetics and natural ability versus someone's drive and the mental aspect? Yeah. Um, 
that's such a great question. It's the nature versus nurture question. You know, yes. is, it, is it just biological or is it effort? And I think that um, from my read on the research and understanding, our current understanding is that it's, it's tends to be a blend, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. You can't be a great center basketball player in pro basketball unless you're seven feet tall. You know, there's, there's some realities to that. But boy, again, I'm as a sports psychologist, I guess I'm biased, but the mindset, the approach, the willingness to engage, you know, it's such a, that ultimate, I think for the elite, the top, top athletes, you have to have that too. You just, it just can't be physical, physical gift anymore. It's not enough. So I think for the top athletes, it's got to be definitely some genetics and maybe um, even more mental. Yeah. So just taking a trip on the Wayback Machine, or in the Wayback Machine, going back to, I want you to talk about the first Olympics you remember following, and who are your early Olympic heroes? Oh, gosh, this may not be part of this, because, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up with uh, out in the cornfield with um, a town of 500 people, very little access to, to media. Wow. <laughs> My time was with, like, riding horses bareback with no bridle, no saddle, um, chasing pigs for fun. You know, I was like, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. So I came from such a different era. That's not how I thought. To me, um, it, it, it wasn't, I'm not into the um, hero and admiration of, 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 of others. It's more like sport to me was like a experience. It was like a, almost like a spiritual, soulful experience for myself, a place to, a place to be joyful, a place to be engaged, a place for friendship, a place to see what my body could do. I found it just fascinating. So it was more that for me than it was like heroes, you know. Interesting. And then you got into, you became a rower. Yeah. So I played, you know, I played, you know, high school basketball, tennis, lacrosse, college basketball, um, college rowing. And then I um, was, ended up uh, on the U.S. team for rowing for four years in the Olympic team, 92. And then I was a professional sailor um, on the America's Cup sailing team in 1995, the all-women sailing team. Okay. So then I have to ask, how can I get better on the rower? <laughs> okay. Got to use your legs. <laughs> okay. Damn it. <laughs> you got to connect. There's not like a mind trick. I can just be like, you're better on the rower. You're better on the rower. It happened. You know, it's funny. You know, even um, it's a funny story. I remember um, one of my one of my teammates who pulled like around a six minute, 32 second, I think it was, erg for a female on a 2000 meters was just like mind blowing. And um, I remember saying to her, like, how do you do it? And she's like, bald self, don't you understand? Doesn't mean if you're, doesn't matter if you're best in the world or not. It's really painful. <laughs> You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. It's it's it just like you know it, it takes us all down to our knees. You know that that machine. But um, you know it's connection with the legs, it's rhythm, and hanging on your arms as long as you can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> and I wasn't best in the world. That maybe I was one of the top, maybe three or four in the country at one point, but not the best. Well, that's. I mean that. Yeah. That counts. Okay. <laughs> I would take about a million rungs below that and be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm barely top three in my gym and there are only four machines. So. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay, so I want to know what your thoughts on, on workout buddies are. Oh, um, yeah. And like, in addition to like, whether you think yay, nay, whatever, are yeah. there any tips you have for like what to look for or what to avoid in a workout buddy if you really want them to help you reach your goals? Uh, work, you have to have somebody who you enjoy being around. You have to have someone who maybe similarly matched to you in terms of whatever your activity is, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, someone who's going to show up. I mean, that's probably the number one thing. Someone who's going to show up and um, not try to um, 
knock you down, but someone who's like energetically is like with you and wants you wants you also to improve and be there. Oh, that's a good point. Because it can become competitive, you know, and it can become a little bit like wishing, <laughs> wishing you're better than the other one, and that's not so good. So I think genuinely wishing well for each other would be a good basic. Um, and showing up would be the most important thing. Yeah. It makes me think that's like Aristotle, you know. Go back to Aristotle. But anyway, that's another. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about Aristotle? <laughs> I, I'm game. Let's hear it. Yeah, I want to hear it. <laughs> no, he's like, you know, he's saying true friendship, it starts with goodwill toward the other. You want to have a good friendship, you have to have goodwill toward the other. And then the other thing is you have to match each other in um in, in areas of excellence. Like, you know, um, like, you know, it would be in moderation in terms of motivation that you have to have someone similarly match the motivation in terms of effort, in terms of what you care about, in terms of what gives you pleasure and what gives you pain. So um, if it gives you both great pleasure to go for really hard 10 mile runs and it just like, Oh, your, your soul is filled. That's probably the right guy to go running with. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have one more question that I'm going to, I'm going to throw in here. That just kind of came to me. I know I hear this from a lot of different people, and I've even I've even said it myself and felt it myself at different times, which is just like, you know what, I, I really don't like competition, or I don't feel like I'm competitive, or I don't want to put myself, like, it almost feels scary, or, yeah, yeah. yeah like, the, just the fear of kind of just going head-to-head with someone, or maybe they're not going to like you, or maybe you're going to beat them, or all kinds of stuff. What What, what are your thoughts on all that? And how to get over that? No, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a major problem in our country in general. I think people like to go against people when they're sure they can win. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is starts. I mean, it used to be like you know elite, and then it was collegiate, and then it was high school. And now it's down to our six year olds. You know, so we're trained that like, unless you can win, you're not like worthy. And so it's really, I think it's hard to put ourselves in uncertain situations. So I think that it, it's it's a common feeling. The only way to get over it is to to, to have like self respect for being willing to 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 be out there and, and put yourself out there and be vulnerable yeah, and, and, and take great pride in and be able to be vulnerable and, and give your best effort. And it, it's a problem that people don't want to do that anymore. You know? Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay. One more question. I'm sorry. Sorry guys. Do you have thoughts about um, like kids in sports? Like oh, it, I have thoughts. Yes. Good. Okay. I mean, I could go like a million different directions yeah, with it, yeah. but um, like any sort of big take homes for parents who might be listening. Oh, wow. So I wrote a book about 10 years ago called whose game is it anyway, just mm. around this. Um, one of the big, big takeaways from that book, which I thought was really good for parents is when you put your kids in sport, you know, your child in terms of, you know, if, if they really want to be there or not, you know, mm-hmm. that's thing. also, um, know the environment you're putting them in and make sure you're putting an environment. Cause you know, there's a whole range of types of coaches out there. Making sure to coach in a situation that you believe will be positive for your kid. And the third one, which I see a lot with some of my kind of intense <laughs> friends with kids, is you got to make sure that you. It's not about you. It, you got. Yeah. It's about the. It's about your child. So it's not. It's not about you. So people can put excessive pressure on their kids because um they're living through them. You know that that's a problem. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. so, all their parenting course. <laughs> right? that's yeah. Thing. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. So can I follow that up with a question about for the coaches? Because I'm guessing I'm not the only one here who who's coached kids, and you know, it's it can be really hard, you know, especially when you have like the parents pushing, and then the kid wanting to please mom and dad, wanting to please the coach, but you know, maybe having a hard time finding their own um, personal motivation for why they want to be there. 
do you have any any thoughts on what a coach can do to either better identify that or better help a child um, or, you know, even not a child, a, you know, just their, one of their athletes um, handle that a bit better? So that's a big question. And I think it, to me, it would really depend on we talk about six year olds or 10 year olds or 14 yeah. or even what level are we talking about. But I would say like kind of really broadly, um, I think a coach can always say things like kind of be educational without asking the athlete to respond. So you don't have to embarrass them or make them vulnerable. We can say things like, you know what, like, I really, um, I appreciate the parents are very enthusiastic. I appreciate there's a lot of, you know, encouragement from the crowds. But what really matters is that you look inside yourself and remember why you're playing for your own reasons, too. Mm. You oh, know, I love that. That's and, really nice. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, I, I, I've had, I have so many stories going through my head, but I've had clients where I remember one kid, you know, she's just like dogging it and um, just didn't want to push herself and you know, talking to her and she's like, well, it was the same thing. Like my parents expect so much and the coach expects so much and, and really resisting that. And I said, if you put your parent aside and you put your coach aside and you look inside your heart, what do you want? She's like, well, God, I, I, I really want to run. I'm like, well, then great. Like, then who cares what your parents or coach wants? Who cares if you're pleasing them or not? Do it for yourself, you know? And it was very freeing for that kid. And I think that's um, something we can all learn from. A lot of adults could use that advice too. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All of us, like, you know, you guys do this. I've heard this show. Fantastic. You guys do a great job and kind of in your own hearts. Like, what am I trying to give here? Why am I doing this for my own reasons? You know, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Aw, group hug. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any other questions? I'm good. I've, (laughs) I've thrown in. Yeah, I've thrown in so many. I think I'm good. Kristen? Yeah, I'm I'm all set, Margo. I think we can go to the the final one. Okay, so are you ready for our final question, Amy? I I think I am. Yes. Okay, here we go. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? <laughs> <laughs> Better be good. No pressure, <laughs> but <laughs> um, it must have been a song by Passenger. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Love Passenger. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. But with uh, three kids and big job, I don't, I don't always think about the name of the songs. I just like this. I like the vibe of the person, that, that, the soul of the person. I think it's got a beautiful soul. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Can I just say one more thing, just in case? Just in case, because I had I had these notes. What I wanted to say, I didn't say one thing. Is that okay? Go for it. Oh, go course. for it. This, I think there's thing that there's. Um, don't expect to always be motivated. You can't always expect to be motivated because we're not. But I think there's this thing of having a go-to phrase. Uh, something that is um it's a it's a inspiring value to you like um that could be motivating could be helpful so even if you're not feeling it if you can remember why and i think it's probably back to your back to your why um but having a, a phrase um ready um that you can bring to mind um is prepared in advance if that makes sense what's yours yeah <laughs> if you want to share i did <laughs> Because I'm in a different phase of my life right now, you know. I feel like I'm, I'm very much in tune with what I need and what I want. I, I just go with mm, – I feel inspired all the time, so I don't think I have – just comes to you. You just have it. Yeah. You know what? It didn't so, evolve. I guess it was no no good point there because I um, – <laughs> It was. It was. I think it was great, yeah. Because <laughs> for myself, at this point, um, I do just feel inspired. I feel grateful to be here on this planet. So that's just, that's kind of where I'm at. That's that's a pretty good phrase. Amy, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're a fantastic guest. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitfoundgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere when you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening. 